0: Like I said, I've been at the COC since since, uh, since the first of June. Uh, I'm married, been married for 25 years, and I have two, two wonderful sons um, that are here this morning, and it's uh, just been, been a pleasure to, to be involved with Golden Hills and the ministry uh, that we are together to share the gospel uh, with those in this community. So the COC is where faithful men and women desire to use their gifts and talents to serve the Lord Most High. They do it with purpose, and as you have seen in the video, that we just watched, building relationships that lead to experiencing the love of, of God is critical to our ministry. At uh, the, the foundational level, we want to build relationships with people. We want them to, to experience love that sometimes they've never experienced before, then ultimately to show them the love of, of the Father who, who loves beyond what we could possibly ever imagine or do. And as I look at the, the video, you, you see, you know, uh, really what the, what, the, what the video was trying to portray is that we're all in process Right, none of us have reached where we uh, we're going to be yet, and so um, and as we as we go there, you know the C.O.C. and Golden Hills, we we all trying to, uh, to to build us along, to get us along, right, to encourage one another to be built up in the faith. And in fact, uh, some of those that were in the video there, they came to the C.O.C. at their point of deepest need, uh, whether to get a meal or whether to get uh, get help with some area of their life or uh, with, their, with their kids or whatever it was. Uh, but now they're they're there serving and they've wanted to give back, and they've gone through the process of becoming a ministry partner so they can serve, and they can give, and they can use their gifts and talents for the Lord. The video highlights some of those who have been impacted over the years by the generosity of those who have given financially, prayerfully, and sacrificially in terms of time, money, availability, energy, and talents to the COC. This ministry is made up of those dedicated to serve the Lord, and we serve the Lord with a purpose— And so as we look at Mark chapter 2 this morning, it's going to give us an example from the ministry of Jesus of those who served purposefully the Father of love and will provide us the guidance as we seek to faithfully serve with purpose. So Mark chapter 2, I'm going to begin in verse (coughs) 1. And then when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And as he was preaching the word to them, and they came to him, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are are forgiven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time that we have to look at your word. Lord, what a powerful resource it is for us to, to live, to, uh, to receive guidance, to receive direction. We know that it's your word for you for us today. Lord, I pray that you would open our minds, open our hearts to receive all that you would have for us. And may we leave today uh, even more dedicated to your purposes, more dedicated to using our lives in a way that's going to glorify and honor Christ. In that's whose name we pray. Amen. So as I think about this account of Jesus and this interaction that he had with this with this uh, this man who, uh, from all indications was uh, was paralyzed from the time he was born, probably never had the opportunity to to run and jump and play and do the things with other kids. I, I think of putting myself in his in his shoes uh, where he was, and so so think about that for a minute. Think about if you were in this man's situation, back in the first century. How would you? What would you be thinking? What would you be feeling? What would you? Uh, where would your hope come from? Because it was, it was really a hope, kind of a hopeless situation um, from where he was, for someone in the situation. Um, because there was no Social Security disability benefits that he could apply for. Uh, there was no doctor that he could afford to go to. Um, there was no procedure available that he knew of that could get his legs to, uh, to work, to walk. In order to survive, typically what would happen is somebody would have to, uh, to physically get you to the place where the, the market was, where there was a bunch of people, and, and, and you would rely on the donations of strangers to give you uh, um, some change in order to buy uh, some bread or buy something to eat for that day. It was, it was a very bleak existence. But in the midst of this bleak existence, you kind of hear rumors that there's this, uh, uh, this man who's doing some pretty remarkable things. You now here in Mark chapter 2, we see that this is so towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry. However, he had developed sort of a reputation because uh, you look at Mark chapter 1, it says that, that, uh, that, that people were amazed by his teaching because he taught, not like one of the other teachers or the scribes or the Pharisees or anything like that, but he taught as one who had authority. His authority didn't come from, from outside. It came from within. And so he was a little bit different. And, and you hear stories about maybe that the, the, the blind people are, are, are being able to see that, uh, uh, that people are, are, are being, uh, the demons are being cast out of people and, and maybe even that, that uh, the dead are, are coming back to life. So if there's any glimmer of hope for you, you would think, hey, maybe this man can do something about my condition. Maybe if I was just able to see him, I would be able to walk. But what are the chances that that, that would ever come to fruition? What are the chances that I would ever come to see this man? Very, very likely. But, but, uh, but then again, sure enough, you you hear word that he is coming to Capernaum, which is is, is close to you, and, and uh, so close, but yet so far because how are you going to get there? There's no way for you to get up and walk. But these four men, maybe friends of yours, maybe just acquaintances, maybe they know of your situation, they come to you, and they say, "Hey, we want to get you to see this man Jesus. We want to to bring you over there." And so they they get on your on your mat and they and they take you and and uh, and, and that hope is is coming up within you. You think, "Hey, maybe maybe there is something to this. Maybe." Maybe I can, I, can, I can walk again. But, but uh, as soon as that, that glimmer of hope is there, it dissipates as soon as you see the house. Because uh, as soon as you get a glimpse of the house, guess what? There are so many people packed that there is no way you're ever going to get in that house. There is no way that you can, uh, uh, can, can fight through that crowd. Uh, again, you're, you're disappointed because uh, you, you think there's no way that, uh, that, that, that this is going to happen. But then one of the, the men who brought you there, he devises a scheme that somehow gets you on top of the roof and maybe there's a contraption or something that, that uh, they tear away the, the roofing and, and, and you're lowered down. Uh, so you're skeptical of this plan, of this, of this bizarre proposal, quite frankly, but uh, what have you got to lose, right? So you go along with it. So sure enough, they, they get you up there, they get you down, lower there. And, and, and as you find yourself being lowered, uh, all the eyes of the people who were gathered that day, all the whole crowd... Uh, They're no longer focused on Jesus. They're no longer listening to the words that he is saying, but they're all focused on you because you're being lowered down uh, into the midst of this crowd. And so you're you're there and you're you're right in the middle of it. And as you come down, as you're there in front of Jesus, you're there in front of the guy that, that, that your whole hope is set upon, this guy can do something for me. And then what does he say to you, right? He says what? He says your sins are forgiven. And I can just imagine if I was in that situation how my heart would just kind of sink. Because that man did not come there today to have his sins forgiven. He did not come there today to, to uh, th- that was not the outcome that he had in mind. I'm sure he was devastated by, by this statement of Jesus and I'm sure he was let down. He didn't travel all that way to have someone tell him that his sins were forgiven. In fact, sins were probably the furthest thing from his mind. His focus at that moment was on his immediate physical need, this need that he had struggled with his entire life. He had a very different outcome in mind for this long-awaited meeting with Jesus. But Jesus recognized the persistent faith of the man and, and the ones who brought him. Forgive, well, this hardly seemed to be what the man needed, at least not on the surface. But what did he need? There was a greater need. Oftentimes, what we ask the Lord for and what we receive are not compatible. Who knows better our situation? Doesn't God have wisdom and perspective that should trump anything that we desire? Because the fact of the matter is the one thing that this man, paralytic, had in common with everybody else who was in the house that day, the one thing he had in common with all of us and every person who walked on this earth, the greatest need is our sin. The greatest trouble that we have in our life is our sin. And unless something is, is uh, done about that, then, then we have no hope. And Jesus was telling him here, hey, you have hope. I have given you this forgiveness of sin. But off to the side over here, you hear some, some grumbling. You hear some murmuring. You can't really make out exactly what's being said, but, but there's, there's some commotion over here off to the side people over here are the scribes. They're the teachers of the law. These are self-proclaimed religious guardians and defenders of God's law for the Jews. Not only were they experts in what we know as the, New, as the Old Testament, but also they studied the rabbinic teachings, and uh, which provided additional instructions on how to be in compliance with God's laws and God's standards. They were part of the crowd that day that had gathered to see Jesus, but their goal was not to learn from Jesus. Their goal was not to be a disciple. No, their intention was to meticulously dissect every word uttered by Jesus in order to catch him pronouncing a blasphemous or theologically erroneous statement. And without provocation, they didn't have to to pry very hard, and they got it right here when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. For anyone other than God to claim to be able to forgive sins was blasphemous. For the teachers of the law, Jesus was not God. Therefore, he was a blasphemer. If they were right about who Jesus was, their reasoning was flawless because forgiveness was, a, was the prerogative of only God, God alone. Their fatal error was not in recognizing who Jesus was, that he was the Son of God with authority to forgive sin. Because only Jesus himself could forgive sins and not any man, and certainly not this young hotshot preacher from Nazareth, these religious leaders thought that they had caught him and were ready to expose him for the fraud that they believed him to be. However, Jesus had an altogether different plan. Jesus didn't inadvertently or haphazardly say something that he was not intending. He was very deliberate with the words that he chose. See, his ultimate purpose that day was not to provide a healing for a man that had come so far to see him. It was not to show some spectacular signs that People in the crowd that day were wanting to see. It wasn't even to start a controversy with the religious elite. No, his aim was to impart a very important spiritual truth upon those who were gathered in the house that day. And he used the situation with the paralytic and with these scribes and those in the crowd to understand, for the the, the crowd to understand who he was and why he came into the world. Look at verse number 8. It says, immediately, Jesus Perceiving in his spirit that they have thus questioned within themselves, he said to them, talking to the, to the teachers of the law over here, <clears throat> he said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? I want to want to want to stop here for for just a second. I want to pause because I don't want to want to gloss over this rhetorical question that Jesus is asking because it's very significant to what he's trying to do here. So, which is easier? Both are easy to say because I can I can spout off anything, right? We can say anything. Doesn't make it true. Doesn't make it legitimate. But only one provides immediate validation. For the teachers of the law, it was easier to make the statement about forgiveness because how could it be verified? But to say, get up and walk, I mean, you would know right on the spot whether Jesus was, was full of baloney or whether he knew what he was talking about. Both questions were alike. Impossible to men, but equally easy for God. Everybody in the crowd that day knew what Jesus was saying when he told this man that your sins are forgiven. Sometimes, or I've heard people say, I've heard people uh, Write, people write articles and things about how Jesus never claimed to be God and, and how that was put on to him from his disciples and after he, he died and everything, those type of things. But the fact of the matter is that the religious people that were there that day, the paralyzed man the, um, and the crowd, everybody who was there that day knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he said it. Maybe a little bit different from us coming from our perspective because he didn't come out and say, I am God, but the words that he was using... the the fact that he took upon himself the ability to forgive a man's sin, he was telling everybody there at that time, at that place, that he was God. And that there was a power in him that was different than any other man, any other person that had lived. Because not only was Jesus fully man, but he was fully God indeed. The point of the question that Jesus threw out there to these um, scribes and teachers of the law The reason of that, the point of the question, was to put the gospel on full display. At the heart of everything Jesus did was the good news of how to overcome sin and obtain the righteousness and salvation of the Lord. So our sin prohibits us from gaining favor with God, and we need an encounter with a Savior that results in us putting our faith and trust in Jesus. Because he is the only one who can truly provide the forgiveness that is required for us. And Jesus was teaching the crowd that day that he is the only one who could do this because he is God who forgives sin. He was not simply a good man, a great teacher, or a wonderful prophet. No, he is God. And to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt to all those that day who he was, look at verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we saw. We have never saw anything like this. The healing that Jesus did verified his claim that he could grant forgiveness. As sure as actual healing occurred when Jesus said the words arise and get up. The same, happened, the, the, the same can be applied to when he told the man forgive, that your sins are forgiven. His sins were actually forgiven. He did the miracle which they could see in order to show everyone that he is God. And he had the power to heal, to forgive, to justify, to restore, and to reconcile. And Jesus' purpose that day was fulfilled because he chose to use the willingness of certain individuals in unique ways. God can do anything he wants but he desires to include us in accomplishing his will, and we are blessed for it. In this situation, to impress upon the people this eternal truth, Jesus took advantage of those around him. I want to look briefly at how he used each one in their situation in order to bring about his ultimate goal of letting people know that he was God. First of all, look at the four men that, uh, that carried the paralytic to Jesus They used their time, their energy, their gifts, their talents, and their abilities to serve their friend and to serve the Lord. They had a proper understanding of God's care and concern for the poor and the vulnerable in society. And they were not content to just pray over those who were in need, but they actively participated in doing everything they could do to get this crippled man to the only person who could help him. Their attitude towards the poor was in line with God's compassion for the downtrodden, and they willingly sacrificed their time to make sure that the paralytic made it to Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 1, the prophet Isaiah is giving a very difficult message. God sent him to the nation of Israel in order to let them know that there was going to be a judgment that was going to befall them. And uh, in chapter 1, he outlines the reasons why. Because of their unfaithfulness, because of their idolatry, because they had had stepped away from the Lord their God. But in verses 14 through 16 of chapter 1 of Isaiah, um, he goes into detail about one of the reasons why this judgment was coming. He told the people that your attitude towards the poor um, is not in line with God. You were taking advantage of the poor. You were um, putting them in situations that were, not, uh, that were not, you didn't have the heart for those that were vulnerable, the same heart that God had. And as a result, that is one of the main reasons why they were going to incure the, the, the judgment that was coming, that Isaiah uh, was, going to, was, was prophesying, because they didn't have the attitude of God towards the poor. James chapter 1, at the end of that t- chapter, uh, James tells us that if our, li- our religion, that if, if we have a religion that's not caring about the orphans and the widow, then our religion is useless. It's, it's wasted. There's, there's, there's no part, point to it. Why? Because we are to take care of those who can't take can't take care of themselves. We're to look after people they have that, that struggle with that. Why orphans and widows? Why are those continually named in Scripture time and time again? Well, think about it. In in, in the time the Bible was written, orphans or the, the widows were, uh, if you lost your husband, you're really in a bad situation. There were not a lot of opportunities for women to uh, to provide for themselves, and so they were dependent upon the man for. Uh, for their livelihood, and so when the man would, would pass, um, they were in a very vulnerable situation. They didn't have opportunities to go out and provide for themselves. Same way with an orphan, if an orphan lost his parents, who was going to be there to provide for them, to care for them? And so Jesus was uh, was um, uh, these these four men who came to Jesus. They knew they, they this man that they they brought to him, this paralytic. He was in that same situation. He didn't have people to care for him. He didn't have a way of getting to do the things he needed to do. And so they came and brought him to Jesus. They used what they had. They took time out of their busy schedule to bring him to Jesus, to bring him to the one who could provide what nobody else could provide. And so they had the right attitude towards the poor. And so many times I think we kind of uh, um, push people off to the side. And at the COC, you know, we, we deal with people that are in this situation all the time. And one of the things that keeps coming up is, I feel like I'm nothing. I feel like I'm dirt. I feel like I'm in the way. I feel like nobody really cares. Nobody wants to to talk to me. Nobody wants to, you know, all I'm just told is to move over here, move over there. Nobody really cares. I think Jesus has a a specific um, heart for those that are in those vulnerable situations. So they had the right heart. They had the right, the heart of God. But also, notice that these four men... We're not willing to let obstacles detour them from their ultimate goal, from their service to the Lord. When faced with seemingly insurmountable odds, they pushed through to make way for God's will to be done. They saw the, the, the house, they saw the people, they saw the, uh, um, the difficulty of trying to get this man there Instead of being discouraged, instead of walking away and saying, no oh, way, there's no way we can do it, they were determined to find a way to get the man to Jesus. They thought outside the box, right? We can't go through the, through the door. Well, maybe we can come down through the roof, right? They thought outside the box. They, they used ingenuity in order to get this through. How many times do we come up against complications or difficulties in our lives? Unfortunately, far too often I get detoured or I get discouraged. The Bible has many promises for us, but one promise that we don't talk a whole lot about is that the Bible promises if we are committed to living for the Lord, that we will indeed face trials, persecution, and tribulation. We live in a world that is set against God and His ways. And if we are active in our faith, if we are vocal about what we believe, then we are going to be at odds with the world. Who does not want to hear about God. Who does not want to hear about his plan for redemption for mankind. And so if we're going to live out our faith, we need to expect that we're going to, to get some, some pushback. We're going to get flack from people that don't want to hear about who God is. We need to expect that and not be surprised when, when we are, are, are oscillated or, or, or pushed aside. Additionally, The Bible tells us that we have an adversary who is determined to thwart God's purpose at every turn. If you are a follower of Christ this morning, let me encourage you that the enemy will not win. God is victorious and has a reward waiting for those who are faithful. Remain committed to utilizing your gifts, talents, passions, and desires for the Lord. And wait to see how he will use you to do great and mighty things for the kingdom. So God used these four men in their availability, but not only did He use them, but He used these uh, these teachers of the law as well. He used the ones who were available, but He also used people who were not necessarily available. The scribes were not followers of Jesus; they were not believers. They came that day with doubts, with questions, with fears, and with insecurity. Look how Jesus cleverly turned these seemingly negative reactions into a, flat, into a platform where he could teach the crowd a great spiritual truth. So maybe you're here this morning and you're not sure about Jesus or who Jesus is. Maybe you're not convinced that he was who he said he was. You have questions, legitimate questions, real concerns that are keeping you from placing your total trust in Jesus Christ. Maybe people around you or those that you came with have no idea that you had these issues because you kind of buried them in the back, and you're not sure how they would react if you were to, to share them. We'll realize that God is bigger than our doubts and our fears. He's not intimidated by our questions. We all have to come to a place where we address the reservations we have about God. The scribes could not leave that day with the same attitude about Jesus that they came with. He forced them to confront the truth of whether or not they believed that he was the Son of God. Either they believed and it would change their life, the trajectory of their life forever, or they would not believe and they had a different problem. They had to deal with a heretic that was spelling things that were not true. The same question confronts us today. Do we believe that Jesus is God? If so, We need to let him have our lives. We need to put our lives into his hands. Or do we not believe him to be God, and we're trying to make the best of this life on our own with what we have? This is the most important decision that you will ever make because it comes with eternal ramifications. I encourage you to bring your suspicions, your uncertainties, your pain, to the Lord and ask Him to reveal to you the truth. And then honestly listen. Not for the answer you want to hear or the preconceived notions that we sometimes have, but for what He needs you to hear. Finally, consider the paralytic. And, uh, you know, of course, He gets the, the, uh, the benefit, He gets the, the, the joy of, of being able to walk again where He never was able to he received the benefit from the encounter by the physical healing but think about the years of misery and distress that he endured even in his weakened state he was used by the lord for a great purpose but it's not something that just happened it's something that that, that for years and years and years he had to struggle with and realize that that uh, that there were that there were difficulties he had to live a hard life in order to come to this point at this time, for such a time as this that God could use his pain, God could use his situation in order to to, to bless the entire crowd that was there that day. Everyone of God's children has a function in the kingdom of God. There are some who think they are too young or too old, too frail, too untalented, or too useless to be used by the Lord. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us that as the church, we are the body of Christ. As the body of Christ, each one of us has a function to perform. Each one of us is part, a significant part of that body. None None of us ever retires or gets to the point where we move beyond serving the Lord. So whatever it is that you have, whatever you have to give to the Lord, the church needs to benefit from that. Uh, the church doesn't function as it needs to function where not everybody is doing their job. And you may be discouraged or upset because your gift is not like somebody else's. You may look at other people and say, well, they, they have more to give, they have more to offer. But the fact of the matter is that if you're not using your gift for the body of Christ, the body is going to suffer. We all need to do our part. We all need to come to the Lord and use what He's, be willing to use what he has given us for his glory. Now, there are times when health and life situations may cause our service to shift or to adjust, but being a disciple means that we are being a servant. We cannot be a disciple and not be a servant. The call to be a servant is the call to discipleship. <laughs> I had a friend. Her name was Carla. I'll tell you a little bit about her because uh, uh, her story is very significant. Uh, so Carla was, kind of a backstory about Carla. She was a... Uh, she was born. Her dad was in the military, and uh, and he always wanted a son, and he got Carla. So Carla was the son that this man never had, and she was treated like that, like like you know like like a kind of a tomboy growing up. And uh, Carla's mom had multiple sclerosis, and it got so bad to the point where she had to uh, to be in a wheelchair. She couldn't walk. <clears throat> and uh, and one uh, day they were, they were in the Philippines. Uh, he was stationed in the Philippines, and they were living there, and. And uh, there was a, an evangelist that came to town, and, uh, and Carla's mom went to go see the evangelist. And, and one night during the, the evangelism time, they had a, a healing service. And so this <clears throat> Carla's mom went down to get healing down to the front. And, uh, and um, the, the guy called her up and, and, uh, and told her to get up out of the wheelchair and walk. And she tried to get up out of the wheelchair, but she couldn't get up. And uh, she fell right back down in the wheelchair. And in front of the whole crowd that had gathered that day, in front of everybody that was there, this, this evangelist uh, rebuked um, Carla's mom for not having enough faith. And her faith kept her from experiencing the healing of the Lord. And so you can imagine what impression that would have on this young, young girl that Carla was at the time. <clears throat> and so um, the way she reacted was she was, I don't want to have anything to do with organized religion. I don't have anything to do with preachers or with evangelists or any of that. I, I don't need that. That's a bunch of garbage. It's, you know, and uh, and that's how she lived her life. Uh, she got married, had a couple kids, but found herself in an abusive relationship. And uh, and, and Carla decided that that's not what she wanted for herself or for her children. And so uh, she um, mustered all the boldness and courage she could do that said she she left this man, and uh, she left the whole state she was in. She went to a whole new state, started over, had nothing, and uh, did whatever it took to provide for her kids. All all of her intention went to her kids now. She worked two, three jobs, whatever had to be done. She told me a story that she would uh, work at a convenience store at the overnight shift, and she would bring her kids, and she would put them in the car, and they would sleep in the car so she could watch while while she was working the overnight shifts. And she did whatever she could, and, and, and she worked hard. And uh, uh, her kids grew up; and they kind of went on their own, and and, uh, <clears throat> and Carla was starting to have some some physical problems. Uh, she had a, a rope cuff problems, she had knee problems, she had hip problems, and. All kinds of physical issues that were coming upon her uh, to the point where she couldn't work anymore. She had to take time off from work to have surgeries and recover from that. And, uh, and so she was she was dealing with some some pretty uh, severe financial difficulties. One day, one of her neighbors said to her, you know what, Carla, you need to go down to the ministry center down the street. They, they have food, and that's why they're there, to, to help. Uh, so Carla, being a proud woman, didn't want to, to go and, and, and be a part of that, but she decided that she would. Uh, and so she came, and, and I could, the first time she was there, I could tell she was, she was very sheepish. She didn't want to be there, and so I tried to give her some space. And as she was leaving, I got her some food. As she was leaving, I said, Carla, you know, whatever, if you need to come back, whatever you need, just come back. We're here for you. And sure enough, she came back a couple weeks later, got some more food, and was a little bit more relaxed and, and comfortable that time. And, uh, and over the next few weeks and months, she would come back some more, I developed a little bit of a relationship with her, got to talk to her a little bit. And uh, talked to her a little bit about her spiritual background, about her, her, her doubts about, about God and, and so forth. So I said, you know what, I just, I, I'm just going to encourage you to read. Uh, I have a Bible here. Just, just take this and read the Gospel of John. I have a notebook here. Take this notebook. And as you're reading the Gospel of John, just write down any questions, concerns, um, thoughts, whatever it is. Just write it down. And next time you come back in, we'll talk about it. And uh, so she did that. And so she came back, and she had half that notebook full of questions that she had. She was hungry for the Word of God. She was hungry for the Lord, and we talked. And, we and uh, she eventually came to the point where she gave her life over to Jesus, and uh, and God had changed her, and she was a new creature. She was a new a new creation. She wanted to share with everybody what God is doing in her life, and so she volunteered to help people that were in situations where she came out of. And she was a faithful volunteer, but uh, but then again. Um, she, she was struggling again with some, with some pretty significant health issues. And it got to the point where uh, every it seemed like every couple months she was in the hospital for extended periods of time. And I remember one time going to see her in the hospital, <clears throat> and it, it really bothered me because she asked me a question that I didn't really have an answer to. Uh, she asked me, so, you know, Pastor Chris, <clears throat> you know, I, I want to serve the Lord, and that's all I care about now is serving the Lord, but I can't do it. Um, I just, every time I try, every time I feel like things are going well, something else physically happens to me and, and, and I get stuck back here in the, in the hospital. And, and I'm, just, I'm just discouraged. I don't know what to do. Why is God allowing this to happen? When all I want to do is serve him, why is this happening to me? And I, I didn't really have a, a good answer for um, but I began to pray about it and I began to watch and see what was going on. And this is what I, this is what I, I noticed. This is what I saw. I saw that she had two sons. That were adults and the, the oldest son had some uh, uh was going through some difficult times he was uh, uh had some drug charges that were, were federal drug charges that he was dealing with the younger son really didn't have any direction or, or purpose in life he was just kind of going from one party to the next just seeing all the fun he could get out of life um, but they were forced to deal with their mother's situation particularly the youngest one he didn't want to have anything to do with hospitals but yet he wanted to be a good son, so he, he came to visit his mom, even though he was stiff as a board when he came in there, not wanting, uh, not wanting to be there at the hospital. And here's what I noticed. I noticed that as Carlos shared with them about her faith in Christ, they thought, okay, that's good for you, Mom, but, uh, you know, that, that, we're, we're doing our own thing. That, that, that's good for you. But what they saw is that Carlos' faith didn't wane even though she was in the hospital, even though she was dealing with some pretty significant things that she continued to be faithful to the Lord. She continued to uh, have joy and peace in her life, even though everything around her was crumbling. And it made a significant impact on her kids, because now they were forced to deal with, okay, who is this God that, that, that's the, that my mom's worshiping, not just in good times, but also in these hard times as well. Anyway, to make a long story short, the, the older son... He decided that he, wanted, that he was going to marry his, uh, his, his son's mom. And they got involved in church uh, through the process. And of course, he had questions and stuff that we, that we worked through. But they got involved in church. Now he's continuing to serve in the church, a leadership position. Now the older, uh, youngest son now has a relationship with God that he never had before. And uh, he has a purpose, and he's, he's moving forward in some things that he, he never thought that he was going to. And I think that a lot of their direction had to do with them seeing their mom. And God using that illness, the difficulty, the the physical toll that it was taking on her in order to to reach their their sons. So even in hard times, hard situations, we can still be used by the Lord. So going back to what we see here in Mark chapter 2. So regardless of the reason why people came that day, the response for everyone was the same as we see in verse 12. They were all amazed and as a result, they glorified God and were left awestruck by Jesus Christ. The paralytic, the foremen, the scribes, and all the crowd would be changed that day because of what they saw and heard from Jesus. Regardless of their initial reasons for coming, they left glorifying the Lord. And this is our mission as believers and witnesses for Jesus Christ. Our purpose is to glorify the Lord. In illness and in health, in good times and bad, when Things seem to be going our way or when we struggle just to make it through the next day. We are to give the proper honor, glory, and praise to the one who created us, who died for us, and will one day welcome us. But until that time comes, we're compelled to use whatever we've been given in this life for the Father. So maybe you're here today and you have not been actively engaged in service to the Lord. Maybe you spend the majority of your time thinking about your wants and your needs rather than how... God can use you and use the gifts and talents and abilities he's placed within you for his glory. The Bible teaches the, the, the idea of, of uh, firstfruits, where people come and they give the first of everything to the Lord. And a lot of times we apply that to our, our financial situation and, and we'll um, make sure that we tithe before we pay our bills or before we pay anything else that needs to be done. But what about the first fruits of our time and energy and availability Should we give God the leftovers after we take care of our work, our family, and social obligations? Or is the work of God so important that it deserves the best that we have to give? Maybe you don't know where to begin. Well, I happen to know a place where you can discover how you can use your gifts and talents for the kingdom of God. In your bulletin today, you've got a a little bookmark, a little insert, and it talks about the COC, all the different ways to serve, the different opportunities that there are to serve at the bottom of that you'll see that there's uh, information about uh, some tours some information tours january 3rd 6th 7th 8th 9th and 10th from 5 to 7 opportunity for you to come to the COC and and experience what, what happens there be able to hear about the different ministries being seen, seeing some of the ministry in action um, and so I invite you to come be a part of that. I invite you to go and talk to some of our ministry partners. We have several ministry partners here that are here today that want to share with you their experience. I want to share with you how God has blessed them from being involved at the COC. And so we have two tables, we have two tables on each side of, of the uh, um, courtyard out in, in, that you can go and, and talk to people. And you can sign up for, for a tour just to come be a part and experience what the COC is like. That's a great opportunity for you to do that. Whether it's you can give an hour a week tutoring a young person or teaching a class about how to get a job or manage your finances or you want to work in the, the bistro, the children's ministry, or even visiting those who need encouragement, we will find a place for you to plug in if you're available to work for the Lord. Now I realize that working with the homeless and marginalized can be a little bit intimidating. Um, <clears throat> but we want all of our ministry partners to be in a situation where they will... Um, where they will excel, where they will thrive, where they will do well, where they will succeed in ministry. And so we have core classes, and those core classes are designed to help put us in a position where we best can be used by the Lord to, to help others. And so <clears throat> these core classes are, de, are designed to, to, uh, to help us to, to minister specifically to the population that the COC is, uh, that those around the COC, those that come to the COC. And so, so when you come to the COC, when you come to become a missionary partner, we're not just sending you out there. Do it on your own. But but we have training for you. And also, uh, we have our our, our philosophy is that we have ministry teams. And so you're serving with a team, with others that are there as well that want to use their gifts and talents for the Lord. Come to one of our informational tours and find out about the ministry, how you can be involved. But maybe you're not able to serve because of health and medical reasons. Are you willing to allow God to use your illness or condition to reach others for Christ? How can you endure the situation in a way that will show others around you the love of God? As hard as it may be, the fact is that whatever we are dealing with is only temporary compared to the glory that will await us. Whatever you're going through, whatever situation you're in, whether it's a financial situation, a relationship situation, a, a health, a physical situation, whatever you're dealing with, whatever has is, is got you down, Whatever is, is a burden for you right now, <clears throat> it's not going to last forever. It's only going to last a certain amount of time, and then God will, will, will provide. But the thing about it is when he leaves us in that for a, for, a, for a period, for a season, he doesn't leave us alone. He's with us, and he will see us through. And uh, Romans eight twenty eight <clears throat> says that God uses all things for his glory. God can take the, the most horrible situation that we're dealing with, and he can turn that around to use it. his glory if we will put it in his hands and allow him to do that. Maybe you can be a prayer warrior. Maybe you can't physically come out and be a part of ministry at the COC or or here at Golden Hills throughout the week. Maybe you can be a prayer warrior. Maybe you can be an encourager in some way. There is a way for you to get involved. Finally, maybe you're here today and you're struggling with knowing who Jesus is. Like the scribes uh, that we talked about earlier. But what needs to happen in order for you to come to him? I would encourage you to talk to whoever you need to talk to. Research whatever needs to be researched so that you can come to the conclusion about what you believe about Christ. Don't put it off. Don't waste time. Don't be afraid to ask God to give you a confirmation. So many people I've talked to have come to me and said, you know what, I wish that that I would have come to God earlier. The blessings that I've received in my life, I I missed out those years that I was was living for myself and doing my own thing. I wish that I would have come to him earlier. So if you're here today and you're not sure, if you've not put your faith and trust in Christ, I would encourage you to get your questions answered. Talk to somebody about those. Because I don't want to see you wasting time and and, 10, 20, 30 years from now, you're looking back and saying, oh, I wish I wouldn't have wasted So much time that I could have been walking with the Lord. I could have been blessed by him. You're not here by accident this morning. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And he wants to do something amazing if we put ourselves and our lives in his hands. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the transforming work of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that you choose to use us, as broken as we are, to influence others for Christ and to serve For your kingdom. Lord, we know that you alone bring salvation, but you also allow us the blessing of being involved in the process. Lord, please allow us not to waste what you have given us. Put us in a position to be used by you so that you can receive all the praise and all the glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.